Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Linda Brenneman, the author of The Pulitzer Saga, an historical book tracing her family back eight generations to Budapest, Hungary, after discovering a long-hidden family secret that her father was Jewish. The journey of discovery was incredible, and what she discovered even greater. This family story is one that may possibly be similar for other families. It certainly is a good message to remind us to talk about our stories. Linda opens this up for us. Linda Brenneman, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning, Kate. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm truly grateful. I really appreciate what you have done in terms of bringing this book to life, the Pulitzer Saga, in bringing the book to life. Of course, you've brought to life so many generations of your family, family that you didn't even know you had. And that's, I think, such a huge part of the story, isn't it? It certainly is. I knew nothing about my family. The only um, thing I knew was my parents and my two grandmothers lived with us also. Um, But they never would talk about their lives in the past nor any of their ancestors. So I didn't even know the name Pulitzer or Misner or any of the other names other than my own name, which was Ambrose. And of course, yeah. that you don't even notice any connection there, except for your grandmothers, right? It was your maternal and your paternal grandmother lived with you? Yes, both of them. Yeah. So, so that in itself feels like a very rich existence, except for the fact that they, as you say, they never talked about the past. No, they wouldn't talk about the past. And what's very interesting is in our dining room, we had a picture of my grandfather. But, and we knew he was my grandfather, but we didn't know anything about him. And neither my parents nor my grandmother would talk about him. They, they maybe shared a few stories. You know, he was a World War I hero, and he was... Um, quite the debonair person. He was a wonderful tennis player. He was a big-time lawyer. But, you know, the things they shared were sort of generic and vague, and they never would share how he died. And that's a very, very tragic story. He died. He was taken as a prisoner because the Allies had bombed one of the factories in Budapest that had made German airplanes. And as retribution, they took 85 of uh, Jewish, sort of the, the well-known lawyers, businessmen, journalists, and leaders in the community. And one of those was my grandfather. And he went then to a labor camp, which was known as the Hungarian Devil's Island, and then from there, he was transported to Auschwitz and then to Dachau. And we still don't actually know how he died. He either died on the death march from Dachau or um, when the Americans liberated Dachau. He might have been there because he was very sick with tuberculosis. 
so we never found out. But he was a remarkable man, and we had his his painting in our dining room, but we never really knew very much about him. So it was quite a revelation to learn about him. And so to go from this period where you didn't talk about the past, the past as you, or did you know that your your parents had immigrated from Hungary? That part you did know. That part I did know, yes. And they spoke Hungarian at home. Um, so, yes, we, and he, they loved Hungary. So they, they spoke about, as I said, they spoke about their homes and certain you know, memories and so on, but very generic things. They never talked about anything uh, that would reveal um, their Jewish, my father's Jewish ancestors, nor did they talk about their experiences during the Holocaust. Which is huge. And I think that that... There were those two camps, if you will, people who would talk about it and others who simply wanted to just put down a huge wall. And that was then it it really it existed. But we're not even going to consider that. Exactly. That was they were in that camp. Very definitely. And so this is how you you grew up, not knowing this very strong cultural past that was part of you. Did you ever have a sense, though, that there was that within you? Uh, or, or did it all just kind of begin to percolate within you as you started to do your research? Well, you know, I, I actually learned that, that my father was Jewish when I was 27. And before then... I had really no idea at all, but when I learned it, everything sort of seemed like it fell in place. It made sense, but I didn't do anything with it. I didn't explore my roots until, you know, almost 30 years later. Um, And it was unfortunate that I waited all that time because had I pushed when I first learned about it, my grandmother was still alive. People still had memory, and I might have learned a lot more. But, you know, a couple things. There just seemed like there was this impenetrable web that was too difficult to get through. And also, I was young and focused on my own career. So I didn't really start to investigate until, you know, about seven years ago. And what you say, I think, is pretty typical for many of us that we just, uh, you know, take for granted what life there is and go on to build our own life until all of a sudden there's, I don't know, this door we walk through and we want to know the history, where we came from, what were the roots here, how did I become who I am and what does my life really mean, right? Exactly. I think you hit the nail on the head. All of a sudden, these questions for me became overwhelming, and I just couldn't ignore it anymore. So, yes. And in your case, being brought up in a Catholic household, of all things, uh, but being Jewish, uh, not having any of that cultural influence, at least not directly, I think somehow it's it's perhaps within you. Actually, as you did all this research, you're saying really in the last seven years, did you begin to sense that within yourself, that Jewish part of yourself? 
Yes, you know, what's very interesting is my mother, um, my mother was a remarkable person, and even though we grew up Catholic, um, she always said to us, it's so important to treat every single person, no matter what their religion, their ethnicity, their color, their, their economic status, treat them all with dignity and respect. So there was never this prejudice at all in growing up. Every person was just a human being. And while my while religion was very important, especially to my mother, but to my father also, um, it the organized religion just wasn't as important to me. But what was important was learning about these Jewish ancestors. They're just remarkable, and their resilience, their faith, um, their courage that got them through just cataclysmic events throughout history. Um, I just am so proud of them. So, yeah. And with your mother's belief in this, that we treat persons with dignity and respect, that is actually the way she and your father met in Hungary, is it not? Well, yes, they met in medical school. Um, And I don't know when they met, she knew that he was Jewish because... At that time, they met in 1942 in Budapest in medical school. And although, you know, World War II had already started, but it came to Hungary very late. But many of the Jewish laws, anti-Jewish laws, had been passed, just an enormous number of decrees. And there was a decree that said that Jews could not marry Christians, nor could there be, you know, intercourse, or, I mean, they governed everything, and so there was supposed to be really no contact between Christian and Jews, and there were only 6% of the student population could be Jewish. So the fact that my father was in medical school was itself remarkable, and when she met him, she may not have even realized that he was Jewish. But they met in medical school. He was immediately taken with her and pursued her. And 18 months later, they were engaged. (laughs) Oh, that in itself is a beautiful love story. It is. Right. And then along the way, of course, she knows, she becomes aware that he's Jewish. And then as the Nazis move in, as the war really spreads into Hungary, it really reaches quite a climax, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it was really quite horrific when they marched in, and they marched in in March of 1944, and the world really changed. And it was in April that my grandfather then was um, taken to prison, and in May of 1944, my father had to report to a, a labor camp. So he was in labor camp, then later that year, my mother actually moved into a factory to hide Jews. Her best friend and her best friend's family and a number of people. And my father, in October of 44, escaped from labor camp and then ended up coming back to the factory and she also hit him. So, yeah, it was a horrific and very scary time. 
It's unimaginable to think of that having happened. And uh, in my naivety, over the years, I would think, oh, that happened. We've learned an incredible lesson. This will never happen again. But yet, fast forward into the last uh, few years, basically, and what are we seeing? Yeah. Yeah, fast forward into the last month. Well, exactly. <laughs> yes. After your your book came out in September, and then a month later, we have the Hamas attacking and and Israel engaging and and all of that death and bloodshed and oh, it's just been horrific. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's very sad. And and you know, we criticize. Or, you know, I, I I don't want to judge my father, you know, for keeping his secrets. But when you see these kinds of acts of violence, you really understand, you know, why he did that. And, um, who, you know, as you said there are two camps, but who can judge what was the right course of action? But to see these kinds of acts of violence is just so horrific. And... Um, I go back to the way my mother raised us, is that it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your your um, religion. We need to treat everyone with respect. And I think we really need to understand our roots and where we came from and how we were, how we respond and react to certain um, events and, and start to change the conversation so that we try to find solutions instead of reacting as we always have. Absolutely. And I, in that regard, well, in many regards, I admire your mother. Here she was a doctor, raised seven children. But what she had done in terms of her part in sheltering the Jewish people in Hungary at that time, it's, it's beyond comprehension. But yet that, don't we... We wish we didn't have to have that, but thank God for people like her who did that and continue to do that in, in those worn, torn places today. Absolutely. You think about, you know, what it took. She risked her life every day, every minute she risked her life. And to have that kind of courage and compassion is um, what I hope we can all find within us. You Try to solve the problems of today it requires that kind of that kind of humanity, shall we say? Yes. And but then we we read and and uh, your research here for the Pulitzer Saga showing how over the centuries the, all of this kind of persecution has repeatedly gone on and so much uh, death and destruction and just uh, dis- destroying resources, but dis- resources being people too, not just things, but the, I'm thinking of artwork that gets destroyed in the par- process, but the people, their lives upheaved and really uh, for what, for greed, uh, power, it, it's just incomprehensible. It certainly is. I agree with you. And and you talk about how it goes back um, for centuries and centuries. You know, I just went back to the 1700s, but um, my great-grandfather from the 1700s, Isaac, 
lived in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and the Empress Maria Theresa called the Jews a plague upon the race. So when you have that kind of coming from the leaders of of a country, it's it's that's what happens, right? It just yes. trickles down. But Isaac, for example, he was going to get burned at the stake because he had an argument with his landlord and used the Lord's name in vain. And for that, he was going to get burned at the stake, and he escaped. But, you know, the kind of retribution that they had was, again, there was very little humanity, I think, in those days. So I I would hope that we're getting better, but it's... I don't know what this, these wars, it doesn't look like it, does it? It does not. Um, Again, it's just gut-wrenching to think that it has not. And you know, I'm just going to interject a quote here I found uh, recently that feels like it applies to so much of this. And it's something that Eleanor Roosevelt said. So we're going back, what, um, decades and decades, 80 years probably, or somewhere in that vicinity. And she said, when will our consciences grow so tender that we will act to prevent human misery rather than to avenge it? Yeah, it's a beautiful and such an apropos quote. For, for any time, but certainly in these times. And she said it, as I say, I'm sure 75, 80 years ago. And and yet, mm-hmm. you know, all these centuries of pain, that misery that we keep causing. and um, But but we have to feel that there's hope, right? We, we have the story of what your mother did and then the beautiful relationship with your father and they emigrate and they build a great life here. Uh, so that attests to there still being that humanity present. Well, and I think that's, that's the one thing that I found um, that it was so important to me to connect to my ancestors because I found that this was true for almost every generation. When you looked at the generation, when you looked at the stories, you the story of, of Rachel who suffered terribly. Her husband was murdered by Napoleon soldiers and went into poverty, and yet she she kept her faith and, and raised an incredible family. And, and then you have the same thing throughout almost every generation of my family. Um, the stories are remarkable. You had um, uh, Illish, who fought for the... Um, in the, the freedom for um, the Hungarian Revolution of 1848, and again was almost um, was almost killed because of his faith, and yet he survived. And and the resilience and and the strength and the faith with which each generation um, carried on was just so inspirational to me. And I just felt like I really needed to share these stories. Because I hope they'll be an inspiration for people today. Absolutely, uh, and and they'll find potentially within their own ancestors similar traits and be encouraged. Um, 
not that we can't just start something anew if we've found some negative things in our past, but to to find those pieces as you have found and to share them. And and what hasn't it been a wonderful revelation even in Hungary that this research went on and that uh, it's now being showcased, isn't it, in Budapest? Yeah. Yeah, so so what happened was, and um, I had been working with a Hungarian sociologist, and he's the one who helped me find all this information. And when he started sharing it with colleagues, it just happened to coincide with a renovation of the Rombach Synagogue in Budapest. And the Rombach Synagogue is was probably the second largest synagogue. It's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful building. Um, and it had been in horrible disrepair. But they had raised money and they renovated it. And on the third floor, they wanted a permanent exhibit. And when um, Andres started to share these stories, it was just a remarkable one look into Hungarian Jewish history, you know, the, the sharing this kind of history through family eyes. And also they wanted it to encourage Hungarians to look into their own roots mm-hmm. because many Hungarian Jews, um, you know, even after the war when the communists took over, the communists were just as anti-Semitic. And, um, and so many, many Hungarians really don't know their roots. And so this was meant to be an inspiration for them to find their own roots. But it's a beautiful exhibit. It's made up of of ten uh, seven-minute films that were directed by Peter Forgotch, who is a world-renowned documentarian. And um, so it's a, it's a beautiful exhibit, and it's quite a tribute, I think, to my family. So I'm very proud of it. And isn't there actually a connection with your family directly? Yes, well, Sigmund Pulitzer, yes, had uh, seats at the at the Rombach synagogue. So what's interesting in those days, and and the other most of my other family members had had seats at the Dohain synagogue, which is the largest and one of the largest in the world. Um, but at that time, to buy a seat was as expensive as buying a house. So to own these seats was quite quite a treasure. Um, but yeah, so Sigmund had had seats at the Rombach, and most of my other family members had seats at the Dohain Synagogue. So just an amazing connection, and you have been there. You were there. Were, were you at the time of the opening? Well, unfortunately, the opening was during COVID. Oh. So um, it opened to very little fanfare, but just this past September... Um, we had a big family celebration there. It was wonderful, and family and friends came, and and we were able to really thank all those who had worked on the on the um, exhibit. So it was a wonderful celebration. Very nice to be there. So we may not be able to travel to Hungary, but we may, which would be wonderful in a place then to visit the exhibit. <laughs> but we can do this well somewhat vicariously because of you know the whole internet situation, and we can uh, see that yeah. through the website, correct? Yes, my website, which is um, just com, I have um, a couple 
uh, videos from the exhibit. I have uh, two videos from the celebration and then the trailer for the exhibit itself, which is, uh, and you can see some of the pictures also. And, yeah. of course, the book. It's pretty freshly yeah. out uh, and available, and I'm going to say at all of our favorite book sources. And if your bookstore doesn't have it, of course, request it by name. It's very easy to yeah. do, and they're happy to get it. It, it certainly is. And it's available on Amazon and on Barnes & Noble, and I'm really proud that in Buffalo it's available at um, Talking Leaves. And I hope that more uh, independent bookstores like Talking Leaves will start to carry it. And of course, the connection with Buffalo is that your that's where you grew up. Exactly, exactly. Where it's like I grew up, and my sister, I have a sister and brother that still live there. And they want to yeah. sh- highlight this uh, hometown girl, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and there is something else that's going on in Buffalo in May. There, there's something called the Mural Project, and they are doing a mural of um, the three righteous among the nations. So my mother, because of her heroism during the war, um, was a, uh, awarded righteous among the nations, which is uh, Israel's highest award um, for for non-Jews who saved Jews during the Holocaust. And probably the most famous is Oscar Schindler and, and Raoul Wallenberg and people like that. So my mother's name is actually on the wall at Yad Vashem. Um, but now they're doing this mural project because there were three righteous among the nations who lived in Buffalo. Um, my mother and T. Barbaransky and sister Margie Lachta. And of course, my parents knew all all of them, so it's quite an honor. And May fifth, on May fifth in Buffalo, there is they are going to unveil a mural dedicated to the righteous among the nations who live there. And and you said that's coming in May of twenty four. Yes. Yes. Oh, isn't that amazing for three such heroic persons to to be in that one vicinity uh, it kind of gives me chills to to think yeah. about you know that kind of heroism but but just that love that deep compassion and and reverence for life yes I, exactly it, it is a beautiful thing and and all three to to know that they had such courage and compassion to risk their own lives to save others is, is amazing. Well, it's this is a, such an incredible story on so many levels to to give us this perspective of history and but from your you know one family's perspective and to see all the generations uh, there's something that's really heartwarming and at the same time because of all the suffering that went on and put them down these persons. Uh, just something to consider about life and living in humanity. Yes, and, and part of the book, you know, that I think is important is that, you know, I didn't want to only highlight how they died, but I wanted to highlight their incredible lives. These people were incredible people, and and they put values of family and service and serving others, doing good for the world, and having faith, and those were the most important values that I think they continued to 
give to the next generation and the next generation, and I hope to, I hope to me also. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I imagine that your family, the immediate family now, the current generations, are feeling quite touched, are feeling that kind of connection as you have. Have you, have you found that, Linda? Yes, and, and, and even the next generation, you know, it's the next generation that I think it's, it's important for because it's the next generation. That they're the ones that are going to have to find solutions and, and to find that resilience and that uh, strength and courage. I hope this book will be inspirational for them, for the next generation. Yes, indeed. And as you said, for anyone ready to open up and research their roots and find that history. And then we find, I think if, if all of us dug deep enough, we would find that we're all connected. You know, th- Absolutely. Right? <laughs> yes, I think that's the, the remarkable thing is, yes, we are all connected. We're all one people. We're just human beings. Yeah, and humans becoming. Let's we'll think of that as we yeah. right. <laughs> let's let's see that as the move forward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Linda Brenneman, it's just really been so wonderful to speak with you. I feel we've only touched on certain aspects of this book, but time is so limited, darn it all anyway. But let's just recommend, get your own copy of the book, delve into it, and then be led to discover your own historic roots. Oh, thank you. I think that's a wonderful ending to this because it's an ending, but hopefully a beginning, a beginning for many to be inspired to find their own roots. Indeed. Well, you've helped us in that regard, Linda, I believe, by sharing your story and putting that out there as an opportunity for all of us. So thank you for this wonderful book, and thank you for your time with us this morning. And thank you, Kate, for this wonderful conversation. It was really enjoyable and uh, very gratifying. And thank you very much. You're so welcome. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Linda Brenneman and Sunday Morning Magazine with Susan Nichella and Rena Markin. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or to share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the Listen tab, then Podcast, then either of the show names, and then you look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of embracing family, embracing our seniors. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning and happy Decembering.